Hello friends, I am Chris Chavez, and welcome back to the City of Smack podcast. This is my show where I chat with some of the biggest names on the track, on the roads, within the coaching ranks, and across the running industry. Our guests sit down and open up in-depth to share brilliant insights and vivid snapshots from their professional and personal accomplishments, as well as their experiences within the sport. Today's episode is presented by Tracksmith. Tracksmith is an independent running brand inspired by a deep love of the sport. For years, the brand has elevated running wear using the best in-class materials and timeless silhouettes that perform at the highest levels. Well, now they're doing the same with footwear. The Elliott Runner was developed to meet the rigorous demands of committed runners providing the perfect balance of cushioning and responsiveness with the classic Tracksmith style. The inspiration for the Elliott Runner started with the feeling that many runners experience, the delight in finding a natural surface while out for a run. Logging thousands of miles across New England, the Tracksmith team found those moments on pine needle trails, wood chip paths, and old indoor tracks. That's the sensation that they wanted to bring to the roads. Soft, resilient, responsive, and ready for anything. So step into the Elliott Runner. It's a PBAX power trainer inspired by the pep of New England's natural surfaces. See the Elliott Runner in person at Tracksmith's pop-up locations at the Chicago Marathon and at their Boston store this fall before an exclusive opportunity to pre-order them on October 24th. For more information, visit tracksmith.com slash Sidious. It'll redirect you to all of the information about the Elliott Runner. And when you shop around on Tracksmith's website, use promo code SidiousMag for free shipping and 5% of your sale will go towards the Release Recovery Foundation, a nonprofit supporting those in need of substance abuse and mental illness treatment through scholarships. Before we get into the episode, I also want to thank all of our backers on Patreon who keep us going strong. With your support, we're able to plan for on-site coverage at races. It helps us with travel costs. It helps us with website and podcast expenses. It helps us with editing across all the different shows on the Sidious Mag Network. You can see all of the work for yourself on YouTube, this podcast feed, Instagram, Twitter, and of course, on SidiousMag.com. A big shout out to Moon Hwan Kim for being our latest backer on Patreon. And if you want to join the club, sign up today at Patreon.com slash SidiousMag. On Patreon, you can donate anything from a dollar a month. And we even have some people who contribute 20 bucks a month. And for those of you who are unable to commit to a monthly contribution, you can also make a one-time donation by sending any dollar amount over to Sidious Mag on Venmo. Consider Venmo like a virtual tip jar. If you chip in, attach any message you want, and we'll shout it out on the next pod. So shout out to Shannon Oaks for the tip saying, good work. I appreciate that. We also had Marat Alamdaraglu, who threw us a couple bucks and said, love the pod. I'm here for it. Even if you don't toss us some loose change, I'm grateful for all of you who take a moment to shout out the podcast on your Instagram stories or on Twitter. The athletes and guests also appreciate the love. And if you haven't already done so, consider leaving a nice little rating and review on iTunes' Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thank you, everyone, for your support. My guest for this episode is Jenny Simpson. This is her second time on the show. Her last appearance was back in November 2019, and that's one of my all-time favorite episodes. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and check it out. I'll also link to it in the show notes. Jenny is back, and she's repping a new sponsor. Last week, she signed a new deal with Puma and announced that she'll be shifting much of her focus over to the roads. She won three world championship medals and an Olympic bronze medal in her track career. One of the cool stats that I was able to pull up was that she broke four minutes for the 1500 in 2009 and in 2019, which is a decade-long stretch as one of America's shining middle-distance stars. 
So we discuss all of the big changes in her life, as well as some of the hardships from the past two years that included injuries and being displaced from her home due to the Colorado wildfires last December. Jenny's always one of the most thoughtful people to chat with. I'm sure we could have kept going for a couple hours. So without further ado, here is Jenny Simpson. All right. It's been a while since I got to do this uh, with Jenny. November 2019, one of my all-time favorite episodes. We had limited time, but we just packed basically a whole career overview into that one hour. Now I'm excited to talk about the next chapter of your career. Jenny, welcome back to the Sidious Mag podcast. It's, It's so good to see you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And thanks for being a big part of my Instagram announcement day. You guys, you guys put up a really nice post. I really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, no, that was no problem. The photos looked amazing. And I guess the first thing I had to check was when you're possibly going to switch. Is is there going to be a switch of the Instagram and Twitter handle from Track Jenny now over to Road Jenny? I think it was it was available. It might be taken by now. <laughs> oh, I, sh- I should have tried to grab it if it was available. <laughs> I should check before you, before you publish this podcast. <laughs> you know, I am such... Um, I am such a, an amateur at social media. It's kind of amazing anytime I get something posted that the idea of me changing my handle, <laughs> that seems like a mountain too high to climb. I don't know. We'll, we'll see if I can accomplish it, but I don't know that I'm, I, I don't know that I'll switch it. Right. Because I think for most people it was like, oh, I set this thing up back in like 2009, 2012, and I haven't really touched it since. But uh, no, I think that was a, a joke that had been going around on uh, Twitter, I think right after uh, your announcement. So the big news is you've signed a professional contract with Puma, shifting a lot of your focus over to the roads after spending basically you know, more than a decade with New Balance, winning four global championship medals on the track. So how did we get to this point to make this this big change? Oh man, it's that would take uh, a lot more than the time we have to go through the whole. What is it? Uh, I can't really give you the whole spiel, <laughs> but it's 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 been a lot. But basically, you know, um, I had this incredible. Uh, storied stretch on the track that I'm so proud of and is just so precious to me. Um, And not that this was in the plan or in the works at all. Um, Sometimes life is full of surprises, but if I was going to make a brand switch, doing it at the time when I'm making um, an event switch and kind of a a different focus, a different mission within the sport, um, the timing in that way ended up kind of serendipitous. Um, so two really big changes. And I, I, I had envisioned that at some point when I say goodbye to the track, I would want some time on the roads. And it just kind of felt like that's, that time is now. I didn't want to wait so long that I wouldn't have really great years of running left to give to the roads. Um, and then of course the brand switch kind of came, uh, as a surprise to me too. Um, but having that extra energy and having both things kind of transition at the same time uh i think i think it's brought a lot uh to what i'm trying to do the next few years so i'm excited about it what's the most exciting part of trying these new distances you just won the army 10 miler in dc 54 
15. So it's a good start to the road career already. It's not an impressive start. So, I mean, my standards are high. I know what that, um, what that race is in a certain context for me. And I also know that the whole world doesn't know the context um, and what we're, what we're dealing with and what we're doing. Uh, but it was a really good start for me to kind of put myself back out there. Um, yeah. So, so it just, I mean, it's just, it's just been a long, it's been a long stretch of me not racing, kind of battling through a lot of personal and physical challenges getting to this point. Um, but I have a, a really incredibly wonderful loyal crew between my coaches and my husband and, you know, other training partners around me. And then kind of this new crew with a lot of energy and excitement about what I can do uh, going into the future. And so it's a really good way to, to start something that feels equally like the sky's the limit and the door's kind of open to see what's possible, but also a little bit scary because uh, I could not have chosen within our sport a more untested waters. <laughs> the door isn't totally shut on the track though, right? Yeah. And that's something that's been a little bit, that's, that's a little bit difficult to kind of navigate that part of the conversation is that I, I do want to be open and honest that the the mission is on the roads. Like that's going to be my emphasis. Um, but to to be a great runner, I mean, spiking up and getting on the track, that's part of, that will always be part of who I am and part of what I do really well. Uh, and so this does not mean that there won't be a 5K or 10K um, on the track happening. Uh, it's just, I want to be clear that, you know, running, some wild best of my life 5k on the track is not is not what i'm focused on so we're speaking just a few days after emily Sisson ran the american record in the marathon and it seems like you're not rushing to get that far in distance just quite yet but you are entering road racing at a time when it's at its most competitive probably on the u.s stage there's a lot of younger competitors but that never really on the track stopped you from really asserting yourself and kind of letting everyone know it's like this is my event so what do you kind of make of this new challenge going up against you know the likes of some younger stars like you know emily Ke well kira i guess is uh, an, an example of an older star but it, it's Sarah it's Hall. a mixed bag i mean it's a mixed bag which is kind of really cool yeah yeah and there's i mean i i i have such a a wide breadth of time in the sport. So I have these funny different kind of reference points. Like I think about when Ryan Hall went to the marathon and people were saying, this is so crazy. He's going to it so young and what a mistake or, or what an exciting thing that he's going to, you know, concentrate all this young talent on, on the marathon. And now it's this like not even question when somebody comes out of college and then quickly um, goes, goes to the marathon. And so um, you said, what's the most exciting thing about kind of this next phase or the next future? The most exciting thing is that athletes more so than ever in the past don't have to stick to a certain script. That's the most exciting thing. That's not just exciting for me. That should be exciting for everyone. And one of the things that I think Puma is, is doing and affording someone like me and, and also a lot of the other athletes that they're choosing to support is that, um, kind of deviating outside of the exact perfect model and script that's been written by other athletes and su successfully done by other athletes. Um, you can kind of be a little bit more creative inside those boundaries now or, and, and creep outside those boundaries, you know? Um, and so me wanting to go from 1500 
to potentially the marathon, but not absolutely, you know, that's, that's something that they're willing to sign up for and explore with me and see how it turns out. Um, and you know, uh, athletes going to the marathon young, uh, Sarah Hall and Kara going to the, you know, staying with the marathon much later, uh, and running so well, much later into, into their careers, um, women having kids and coming back. I mean, there's just not, um, a perfect mold for an athlete to fit into in a way that I experienced probably 10 years ago. Do you take, I guess you've already kind of mentioned Sarah Hall, Sarah Vaughn, people you've raced often on the track, but they're, they're taking very well to the marathon, but it also wasn't perfect. Like right away, they were hitting home runs every single time out. It, they had their ups and their downs. Are you ready to kind of experience some of those downs after, you know, such a long stretch of success? Well, 2022 for me has been a pretty, pretty downer year. So we're in it. <laughs> we're, we're in the downs. We're pushing through. <laughs> um, no, that's Chris, you're totally right. And that's part of the reason why I'm reluctant or hesitant to just push out into the world and say right away, like, oh, everything I'm doing is trying to get to the marathon. Part of the reason I don't say that is because I have a lot of respect for how high of a mountain that is, <laughs> how hard it is the amount of work you have to put in to do it. And listen, I'm 36. I'm starting this with, I think, a lot of really great years of running ahead of me, um, but I'm not 26. <laughs> and so I do think I have this window of time to, to have another great you know, push into something really hard. But does that translate perfectly into me having enough time um, and is my, is my body right? Is my mind right? Is it, is it suited for this next task? Um, we just don't have the answers to that. And the, the kind of interesting and mysterious, but terrifying thing about something like the marathon is that you don't know until you deviate from what you know and what's familiar and what's comfortable and try it. So I'm, I'm veering in that direction. I'm going to see how the training goes, what my coaches see. Um, what we discover and learn as I start doing longer workouts. Um, and of course the dream would be to, um, to have a great marathon career at, you know, at the tail end of my career. Um, but I'm just not so naive to think that that is a given because I was great at a four minute race. <laughs> I just had this, this very interesting conversation with Evan Jager just a couple weeks ago about just like the remarkable comeback that he had this year. And I think one thing that I brought up was if he and I had chatted in 2016 about how he envisioned the end of his career being, because he was riding this upward trajectory of just, you know, American record and fast time after fast time that, you know, it, everyone who is in that position would say like gold medal at the Olympics and walk off into the sunset. We want to always script it so that the greats walk away with these storybook endings. And I feel like in a very similar situation, if we would have chatted in 2017 or 16, coming off one of those, you know, global championship medals, that you maybe would have had a different way of envisioning, you know, the end of your career. What does that look like sort of now as you kind of, you know, try to map out the next couple of years? And how much has it changed from maybe what that answer would have been in 2016? Okay, this is why you're really good at what you do. <laughs> Cause that's a very, that's a, that scratches it, that scratches the surface. It's something that I think is really important. You get to a certain point in your career where you think I can do anything. 
I, I'm at the top of my game. And you should think that. You should have that confidence. And, and when you have the success to kind of back that up, you walk into a situation and it doesn't occur to you that there's a limited time to be like a superhero. <laughs> you think I have come to this point and this is now who I am. Um, and, and it's good to like, I feel like I fully embraced and lived that feeling and didn't worry about what might be ahead. And I'm, I'm glad, I think that's a good, I think that's a good mentality to have when you're, when you're running really well. So there are times where I think about that stretch between, um, 2013 to 2017, that there was just magic happening. Like it was just so, it was never easy, but it kept paying off. And that's a gift. Like you can work this hard and it doesn't always pay off once, much less for like year after year after year. So that was a really magical time for me. Um, and, and when you're in that time, you imagine, you know, that storybook ending. And for me, I think at the time I was thinking, if I can make the games in 2020, that'll be my fourth Olympic games. I'm gonna come run 2021 in Eugene We'll have a U.S. champ, or I mean, we'll have a world championships in the United States, and then after that, I can do whatever I want, because that's what it would have been—12 or 13 years of me making every team and being in the 1500 and kind of doing it all, making four Olympic teams. So, and especially in 2019, like I felt like it was—it was about to—we were about to be there, you know. <laughs> and even the first few months of 2020, I was racing well. I felt really strong. My body felt good. Um, so I felt like I was right there and then so close to that point of like, now I've done it all and I can kind of envision something different in the future. Just, you know, for me and for everyone in the world, the rug kind of got pulled out from under us. Um, but in, as that, my idea of how those, those years would unfold so dramatically changed, I really started to embrace this saying just for myself that, it was always going to be a surprise ending. <laughs> it was never going to be, I was never going to be able to control exactly how it kept going. Um, and so it was always going to be a surprise ending and it was not the storybook ending to my track career that I imagined. But um, more recently, so even after the whole surprise ending revelation, I decided I can make this a surprise middle. Like it doesn't have to be the end. <laughs> and I do think that there is, I, I was beginning to accumulate an amount of fatigue with what was required of me on the track. So, um, and you know, it's just like anything. It doesn't have to be trying to run at an elite level, but any working environment, when you've done the same thing over and over and over and you've done it at a high level and you've, you've given your whole life to it, um, it's not that I lost any motivation or any inspiration, but even just in the last few months, changing things up has been reinvigorating. It's given me energy and it's just a new scene. So um, making the switch from my, just my, my primary mental focus being from the track to this idea of I'm gonna put on road racing flats and go to the road more often. Um, I'm gonna have a whole new scene of runners to try to you know take on and, and be um and measure myself against um and then also just kind of a different training regimen um i don't have to get on the track and do you know 14 times 400 in in march and i'm really looking forward to just just even that small difference and then to pile on top of that 
um, having a whole new crew of people rooting for me at Puma. Um, I just, I just think it's good. It's good. Like it's good to have a new scene and, and I'm getting a lot of new scenes these days. Definitely. And I love that magical stretch that you brought up 2013 to 2017, because when we, the last time we spoke, we kind of did recap a lot of that. And I'll link to the previous episode so that people can hear, I think a little bit more in depth, some of, you know, your mentality and preparation for some of those races. But now that we're kind of where we are, I want to line up those five Jenny Simpsons on the same starting line. And you tell me who wins that 1500 between 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2017 Jenny. There's no doubt in my mind. This is an easy question. <laughs> it's definitely the 2015 woman. And the reason I feel that way is, first of all, I really believe I was in the best shape of my life. But it's too tempting to just think we never got to see like me at my absolute peak best because my shoe came off in the final. And I've, I've watched that race since then. And, you know, you can never know what could have been, but I have allowed myself to just know and believe <laughs> that that was me at my very best. It's funny, I've watched the race and as we come around with, uh, I guess a little bit before 800 to go, the Baba moves to the outside and she goes straight to the front. And I didn't hesitate. I went straight with her. And it was making that move um, that Eric always stepped on the heel of my shoe and it, and it came off. Um, but in that moment, being that woman that says, I don't care how dominant Dababa is, I'm going right with her and I'm gonna be on her shoulder. That's somebody that is ready for the fight. And when I'm ready for a fight, I'm pretty hard to beat. So I love looking at that and thinking, we'll never know, but I'm proud of the woman that went after it. You caught Dababa in world record form, Faith Kipiegon, I guess, towards the end of your time on the track right. as well. And from the 16 to 2020 stretch, who was the hardest person to beat in your track career? No doubt is Faith. Faith is a once in a lifetime talent. She is just unbelievable. And I feel privileged that I knew that and recognized it and gave her that respect before the rest of the world knew it. I mean, she was just an incredible talent on the track. Um, I remember seeing her early, early on at Prefontaine and, and racing her and just knowing like, this woman is really dangerous and, and kind of has, has, has it all. Um, and, and then she just, got better and better and better and got on top, stayed on top. I mean, I think it'll be a long time until we see a talent like that in the 1500 so dominant um, again. This show is presented by Velis Recovery Footwear. Velis is an active recovery footwear brand designed to help you restore, revive, and re-energize before and after you train. After two years in development, this team has created the world's most comfortable, supportive, and lightweight active recovery shoe in the world. We talk a lot about high performance and training on the Sidious Mag podcast, but I want to take a second and tell you about something equally important to performing your best, and that's recovery. This is something that I've learned over the years, and I can't stress it enough. Take the time to recover properly. One recovery trick is to make sure that you're putting on the right footwear after your run because your feet take a beating, whether you're training or you're racing. 
And a new brand that Kyle and I have discovered over the last couple months is Velis Active Recovery Footwear. This brand was started by three athletic footwear industry veterans that really know what they're doing. They created what they call Tri-Motion Underfoot Technology that cushions, supports, and flexes in all of the right spots and is engineered to let your feet heal faster and better. Plus, these shoes are so lightweight. I've been wearing them for a while now and absolutely love them. I rock them to and from a track workout. Kyle puts them on after races. Velis Actory Recovery Footwear should be in your footwear mix and part of your plan to perform at your best. So check out Velis Footwear at velisfootwear.com. That's V-E-L-O-U-S footwear.com. Grab a pair today and get 20% off with discount code CITIUSMAG20. Use capital C and capital M in that discount code, CityusMag20 at checkout. Now you can experience what recovery footwear should feel like. The Sidious Mag podcast is also presented by Final Surge. No matter if you're an athlete or a coach, Final Surge helps plan and attain both short and long-term training success. Their free online training log is compatible with Garmin, Strava, Polar, Stride, Coros, and a slew of other apps and devices. If you're a coach, Final Surge makes planning and analyzing workouts super simple and helps streamline that communication between you and your athletes. Some of the top coaches in the world who have been guests on this show use it on a daily basis. If you're an athlete out there hammering out miles and tempo runs solo with no guidance or direction, Final Surge is also here to offer up some world-class training programs. Get yourself a training plan for that fall 10K or that half marathon or that full that's on your calendar. They've got plans from NAZ Elite. You can hit some classics with Greg McMillan or Boston Marathon champion Andy Burfoot who are on there as coaches. If you're a fan of the sport and are curious how the pros are training, Stephanie Bruce and the rest of the NAZ Elite squad share all of their training logs on Final Surge. This is your chance to look at Stephanie Bruce's preparation for her Grit Tour finale at the New York City Marathon. Give it all a look at finalsurge.com and use code Sidious for 10% off plans and coaching subscriptions. I can't recommend it enough. Finalsurge.com, code Sidious for 10% off. Back to the show we go. I want to go back to uh, last year and that preparation for the Olympic trials. We saw you race really sparingly and for a lot of people scratching their heads, it was a little bit of like, where's Jenny? What is she doing? Like, is she just yeah. gonna show up to the Olympic trials and then just kind of take everyone by surprise? But it seemed like you kind of, you know, went into it a little banged up. And then how hard did you have to work to get to that final? And how how tough was that? I was I was really sick a lot of that year. And I mean, I don't, I don't know. The whole world was dealing with a pandemic, but we're also dealing with like all the weird tendrils that come from your life and everything you know and familiar being upset, but then also the uncertainty and the fear of what's happening and when things are going to happen. And if the things that say they're going to happen are certain. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't unique to me. I think that was just a really difficult time to try to, you wake up every morning telling yourself, you know, you, life goes on and you have to take the next step for the things that you want. But there's just, there was just this angst of like, is, is this still really important? And is, is this still really happening? I don't know. It was just an uncertainty that we all, we all had to manage to some degree. So when I reflect on 2021, I just think about, I, I was really sick. There was a lot on and off kind of through the year. Um, there was a lot that just wasn't lining up um, as we prepared 
Um, but I've done this a lot. I've done this a lot. I kind of know how to fight through um, things not going according to plan. Um, I, I guess what I would say is that the reason I was so good for so long wasn't because everything just went perfectly. It's because we were able to be ready every time something went wrong. <laughs> and, and so I just felt like, okay, we're going to do this again. Um, but there was a really memorable workout. I had a time trial on the track and it was almost like eerily and in a way kind of dramatically and silly like a movie set because it was raining and Jason was there and Mark and Heather like huddled in the, in the, you know, taking cover from the rain, waiting for me to get warmed up ready for this time trial. And then Jason came out and he paced me and the time trial just went really poorly and no one's saying anything. And, you know, we all see the time on the clock and I went over to my coaches and I don't remember exactly what the conversation was, but I basically said, we're still going to go and we're going to do our best. And I think we all knew like, this is not shaping up to be <laughs> like a team making kind of effort. Um, but it felt really important to me that, listen, if we make so many teams in a row, eventually it's, eventually it's not going to go our way. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to come up with some excuse and not go to the championships. Like we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to do our best. And I went to the championships and I really thought, I don't know if anyone can pull it off. I really believe it's me. <laughs> and I, I ran the first two rounds, really believing that thinking, you know, there's, there's a, there's a diligent regimented training version of me that, you know, um, builds up to these moments, but there's also a version of me that's between the start and the finish line. And that's, that's the best of me. And I don't, I don't know, I might be able to pull it off. Um, and, and I, I, I really tried my hardest and it was, it was gut wrenching to not make that Olympic team, but we saw it coming. You went right up to the three women who made the team, like as soon as they crossed the finish line. And it was, you know, in a way, you know, eventually that day is going to come where you don't make the team, but it's hard to swallow. How long did it take to, you know, get over it? I don't think that anything you just get over. I don't think even, even like you get to drape the flag around your shoulders and run around the Olympic stadium, having metal, like you don't get over that either. So, um, I, I, I don't know that there's a sense of like, okay, I need to recalibrate and, and pretend like this didn't happen, but I think what helped that day was that um, I have practiced because I have excellent coaches who have, have stewarded and, and, and stewarded and taught me how to do this. It's important to be able to look at your training objectively and look at your workouts objectively and say, this is, this is what my training is telling me. And, you know, when you finish a run and you say, well, but, if the footing had been different and the weather had been different and something, then I would have been five seconds a month. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't tempt yourself to, to gift yourself perfect conditions and adjust the times and the efforts and so forth. Or if I hadn't broken up with my boyfriend last week, this workout would have been great. It is what it is, no matter what the qualifiers to the workout are. And so we've been good at that. So I, I because I can look objectively at what my, what my training is telling me, I think we had, I had some, some preparation leading into it. And when we crossed the finish line, I just, I, I, I knew the people that made the team were fitter than I was. And that's fair. That's, it's not, it's not what I wanted to be the case, but it's fair. I mean, the race went out, it ended up being a fast race and I couldn't hang. 
And so I was the 10th fittest woman on that day. And um, when you practice living in reality, <laughs> you can accept <laughs> reality better in the moment than maybe if you've been kind of feeding yourself a fantasy. And I, I wanna say, that's not that I didn't really believe I could make it. I really did. I really did. And I think you should always, you know, believe in yourself and push, but you have to balance that with reality. Mm -hmm. When you talk about reviewing your training and knowing what it is gonna indicate possibly on race day, a really interesting thing that Emily said to me yesterday when we were kind of going over what was the workout that you you know knew you you were ready to tackle the American record? And she pretty openly said that I kind of just trusted my coach, Ray Tracy, in this one because she's felt like she's still very new to, you know, the marathon. And she can look at her training from the London Marathon in 2019, but so much has changed in like technology with the shoes and you know, training and you know how strong she might be that she was like, I'm, I know I'm fit. I just don't know how fit I am because, you know, with the roads, there's just so many other different things to kind of, you know, take into account. Do you think you'll have maybe that much of a, I guess, translation to, you know, difficulty with the translation when it comes to reviewing your workouts on the track and what it could indicate on the roads, just because, you know, it has been a while since you've gone your fastest on the track but you're trying something totally new this time around. Yeah. Really believing in your team is so important. And, you know, when I said, I look at my stuff objectively, as much as that, as much as I make an effort to do that, no person can be so self-aware that they can always see themselves clearly. And so in a, in a, in a way, very different from what Emily was describing, uh, but, but, but similar sentiment, you know, Jason and I have been through a really tough year. And, and me physically in training with some injuries and some other interruptions and some difficult personal stuff, it's hard to see yourself as maybe even especially when I see, you know, the, the, the huge larger than life poster of myself in the Olympics in the gym, you know, when you see the best version of yourself, the version that, uh, that, that people admire, it's hard to, to really believe that was ever you and that's still you. <laughs> uh, and so whether, it's, hey, you can do this really great thing, or you need to see yourself a little bit more clearly and pull back and reconsider how you're, you're training or you're behaving. Um, it's, it's good to have people around you that can see you for who you are, love you for who you are, and can tell you honestly where you're at. Um, and, and, you know, Ray Tracy has so much unbelievable experience, and he's had so many incredible, specifically female marathoners uh, that he's worked with. Um, that have gone on to succeed at the level that that Emily, you know, aspired to years ago. So, um, so having in in my in my paddock in my corner, uh, having my husband Jason, who's done the marathoning, done the half marathons, done the ten milers, um, and and runs with me, and so knows knows my training, and Mark and Heather, who who have as much just specific history and knowledge of me as an athlete as they do with like the sport in general. <laughs> um, yeah, having that faith in that team and being able to say, okay, even if I don't see this in me, I believe what you see and I'll respond to what you see. Um, that's, that's not just the signs of a great athlete, but that's, 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 a, that's a person that's willing to, to work on themselves. And that's a good thing.
you brought up just kind of a, you know the series of hardships that have kind of been dealt your way this is maybe the first time a couple of people might be hearing from you i guess since they maybe saw you training for cher- uh, cherry blossom last year without opening too many wounds and making this too sad is there a way for you to maybe kind of update people and kind of sum up what has really kind of taken place over the last 12 months for you to and maybe you know when things have gotten a little bit better yeah um i i i it is so sweet i do think people are afraid of re-traumatizing me asking <laughs> asking questions about my last year but i think that reflects just how how piled on and how difficult it's been um but but we're i mean i'll start the the sad part of the story by saying we're doing great we're doing great um but uh, it has been a hard year. So I ran Cherry Blossom last year. Um, and long story short, in that race, I, I think I, I inflicted an injury during the race and um, was really, really sore and, and couldn't run very well afterwards. And I took some time off and thought, oh, 10 miles is just really hard and really long. And I didn't know how hard it was going to be. And in hindsight, I should have realized, like, you know, I do long runs all the time. I running 10 miles, I shouldn't have been in that much pain after the race was over. Um, but, but so I, I was dealing with a little bit of an injury after that, um, took some time off kind of stopping and starting with, with an injury. But then of course, like the most significant event was December 30th. We had a fire here in Colorado, um, that, that burned to the ground over a thousand residential homes. And, um, the, that event in our life just has been so huge. Um, our home was not near the fire. It was in, it was, it was in the fire and it's a miracle that our house, um, didn't burn down. We, we, the, the fire came, you know, all, all the way around the house, burned the whole yard. And I don't know, by the grace of God, we, um, our, our home was actually spared. We had a decent amount of damage. So we were out of the house for, several months, um, while, while some of that stuff was, was repaired. Um, but you know, the greater grief was that so many people we care about and our immediate neighbors, so many of them lost everything. I mean, they lost everything and living in that and, and coming home to our home, but being surrounded by, um, so much loss and so much sadness. Um, it's just, it's just been a hard year. Um, so we have responded by trying to be a a support to our community, opening our home and having a place for people to meet here. And that's been really life-giving. It's been really good. And it's, it's been incredible. I guess what I would say is the most important thing. If I could share a lesson we've learned is that the better, you know, the people you care about, the better you can serve them. Like it's, it's, it's easy to say, oh, if I had known, I would have tried to help like try to know, try to know the people around you because the better you know them, the better you can step in. And, you know, there's some people that it's a, it's a huge help to make a meal. And then there's some people that, you know, making them, making a meal in their kitchen is cathartic for them and they want to do that. And then there's other people that need childcare or need shoes or need, you know, whatever. So the better, you know, people, the better you can serve. And that's kind of the lesson we've learned from this. But, um, but then my injury got worse. <laughs> um, I lost my contract with New Balance. So I was unsponsored for uh, the better half of this year. Um, and so during a time when we weren't living in our home and I was hurt and trying to cross train and through cross training, making myself more hurt, 
Um, I was also trying to find a new partner in, in running to hopefully kind of keep this dream alive. So um, it has been a horrible year, but <laughs> we, have, we have learned a lot. Um, our, I, I would have to say like our home has never been more beautiful and more full of life and community. My marriage has never been better. My dog has never been cuter. So we have a lot of things to be grateful for. And I really know that I'm on the, I'm on, we're around the bend when it comes to, to training and injury recovery and stuff. And I'm, I'm training hundred percent and me at hundred percent, I can get into good shape from, from hundred percent training. So we're on that path. I know you've been in Boulder for a long time now, but you know, considering just how many of those years were spent jumping on planes to go to diamond leagues in Europe and Asia and world championships. And then, you know, races across the country. Have you felt, I guess, like in the last two and a half or so years, like the most connected to Boulder? That is a really good point. And yes, I hadn't experienced a summer in Boulder until 2020. I mean, I've, I've lived here since 2005 and I guess, well, certainly in college um, there, I didn't travel as much, but I mean, I really had never really been all summer here until 2020. So I remember thinking like, oh, this is so special because this is the only time I'll be here in the summer. <laughs> and then of course, 2021, I didn't race up to my expectations uh, and didn't travel it nearly as much. Um, and then the threat of losing our home has just made us so grateful for being here and, and, and having what we have. Um, and being able to share what we have with, I mean, how many times in your life do you have the opportunity to share what you have with people that literally have nothing? They wake up the next morning and they have nothing. Um, and, and as sad and as difficult and as, as heavy as that's been, um, it's also been a real privilege to be like at the epicenter of, of some of that grief in a position to, to serve in some way. So, um, yeah, we, we feel very connected to Boulder these days. Um, and, and I do feel lucky that um, we're in a place where staying home is just such a beautiful, wonderful place and place to be. The City of Smack podcast is also supported by Garmin. They dropped a whole new line of watches this summer with six amazing versions of the Forerunner. I rock the Forerunner 955 Solar. It's got a touchscreen and a solar-powered watch face so that you can get some extra juice when you're out for a long run in the sun. It collects a ton of data outside of the hour or two or three that you're out for a run because it takes into account your sleep, recovery time, HRV, and stress to give you a training readiness score every day so you know how you just might feel before your next workout and ways so that you can improve that score so you can crush it. It's got incredible battery life that lasts for days. You will get the most out of your training and take things to the next level with the Forerunner 955 or 955 Solar. I've been wearing it for three months now and I'm still discovering new features and apps. My favorite feature is the morning report, which gives you an overview of the previous day, how you slept, what's the weather, what meetings do you have coming up, what workout is on tap. You can customize all of the information that's delivered to your watch each morning. It always ends with a nice note like, go crush it today, which is just what you need to get going. Visit Garmin.com for more information on the Forerunner 955 and the Forerunner 255 series that Runner's World says is more accurate than ever. Visit Garmin.com today. The City of Smack podcast is also brought to you by Article One. 
Article 1 is an independent eyewear brand on a mission to create athletic sunglasses that transcend sport. As runners, the designers behind Article 1 had never found a pair of technical sunglasses that matched their style. So they went out and made their own. Designed with your entire day in mind, Article 1 takes you from a long run in the morning to drinks on the patio in the evening. I saw U.S. World Championship marathoner Emma Bates rocking a pair as she trains for the New York City Marathon. I've been wearing them in my return to running, but I also just rock these walking around New York City. They don't look like your typical running sunglasses that you wear while you're just on the track or on the roads. They're for any social occasion as well. Just recently, they launched their new evolution of active frames. So they've got the Clifford, the H, Baron, Emmeline, and Moon. Check them out for yourself. They've got the look of the type of sunglasses you pick up in a store in Soho, but that you can wear to your next PR. Article 1 is offering 20% off to Sidious Mag listeners with code Sidious at checkout. So go to article1eyewear.com and enter Sidious at checkout to save 20%. That's article one o n e eyewearcom code Sidious. With this new chapter looking at road racing, do you have a short list of, you know, the U.S. is just rich with so many historic, you know, road races from that go, you know, decades back. Do you have a list of ones that you want to check off? Oh, I should make a list. That's a really good idea. Um, I Instead of a list, I have a couple of kind of strong motivations. And I'll, I'll tell you two in particular. The first one is, so, I don't know if other, I think a lot of people have this experience, but this is certainly my experience. I first met running through road racing. And uh, the amazing people down at Track Shack in Orlando, Florida, <laughs> put on the Track Shack series. And that was really my first introduction kind of in middle school to what running was. And I went with other kids and we would run the normal adult race. And then eventually they had, some had kids races and things, but um, to return to that first love just feels like, uh, um, it feels it feels good. It feels good. And, and that's one of the reasons why I love Fifth Avenue, right? You know, mm-hmm. I ran Fifth Avenue for so many years, closed out my season there. And I would always say like, it just feels so good to to finish a really long season far away from home in a context that's just so friendly and so community um, driven and and having all the fans right there. And anyway, so so returning to road racing kind of feels like my whole running experience kind of gets to my whole career kind of gets to go full circle. So that feels um, feels really cool. And that's that's a real motivation is to get up to the roads kind of doing what I, how I started. And then the second motivation is some of the best races of my career, despite my efforts to run the Drake relays and to always show up well at the US championships and, and to run Fifth Avenue mile. Uh, it's undeniable that some of the greatest races of my career were in Europe and Asia. And if I got to choose, I would run some of my best races here in the US before I'm done. So um, road racing is really an opportunity for me to do that, for me to run here in the United States and and have kind of a, a hometown crowd. What's been the best long run ever of your your career? Like long run, not not race. Yeah, just a long run. Um, <laughs> so we have this we have this course up in the mountains. It's so hard. It's called it's called Gold Hill, and um, 
years and years and years ago when like the internet was a baby and like nobody had smartphones and flow track was like two guys in a van that drove from texas up to up to colorado to to video our our long run um they they put up a video of us all of the colorado team running at gold hill and they titled it harder than mags and mags is kind of magnolia road is kind of the known hard mountain run um, that the buffs did it's in the book and all that stuff so everybody knows that but Gold Hill is harder, <laughs> it's a lot harder. Um, and especially like 2015, 16, 17, um, I would go up there with the team and especially sadly, the young freshman men, you know, they come up and they're like all amped and ready to go and they want to be so great and they're so motivated, but there's a specificity to those mountain runs and especially the taking on the altitude, you know, running at 9,000 feet is, is no easy thing and it takes some adjustment. Um, and so for years I could really hammer some of the men up at Gold Hill. And that's, that's some of my, <laughs> sadly for, for everybody else, but that's, uh, that's one of my favorite memories of, of, um, long runs is just feeling so good up on those high mountain runs. Yeah. Um, it's funny because that question, I guess, like I was texting a couple of the other people within Sidious Mag, you know, what questions would you guys have for Jenny? And that, that was submitted by Kyle Merber, who is, I hope I, he's training for New York city right now. And he's had some pretty good long runs. And I think the whole right. reason is he wants to just kind of take it to the marathoners and show like, Hey, I'm a middle distance guy. And like, I can do this marathon thing, but I don't know. I mean, he, although training's going well, he might get served like, you know, a little bit of humble pie possibly, you know, during the marathon. What has uh, Jason, I guess, sort of told you about like, are you sure you want to do this? Or like, has he always been like, do it? Jason, from the moment we met in college, well, I was in college, he was out of college. Um, he has been begging me to do longer road races. Um, I really love the long run and I'm, I'm good at it. I'm good at, I'm good at the long runs. And I love just dialing in and just mile after mile, just clicking off a steady effort. Um, so he's, he's, he wanted me to do this years ago. So, uh, I think part of this mission is me fulfilling <laughs> a, a little bit of like a, a promise to him. And, and that means a lot. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to work really hard if it's something Jason wants me to do. So you just hit Army 10 Mile. Do you already have another race in mind coming up? I do. I don't know that they've announced the field yet, so I feel like I can't break the news here. I do okay. have one more, year before, or one more race before the year is over, but I do not have a calendar scheduled for 2023. Um, that is something that I'm really kind of... Um, I felt like, and I, I hope people can appreciate, like, you know, no matter who you are, whether you're Jenny Simpson or Kyle Merber or, you or know, me. <laughs> uh, or whoever, you know, like whenever you're trying to do something new, but also in my circumstances, I was coming from an injury. I kind of felt like I needed to get the first or second kind of race behind me and say, okay, where are we? What can I, what can I really bite off and chew? What can I take on? Um, and so 2023 will, will start to come together once I get the second race behind me. Yeah, I was going to kind of ask, like, for your entire track career, like, I feel like there was a lot of possible repetitions, like, you know, meeting with Mark and Heather and be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. It's another track year, another championship year. We're going to work kind of, you know, you know, backwards from USA's and plan things out. But this time yeah. around, it's like you got you get to, you know, pick and choose like what the big 
events are. So, I mean, that part of it definitely has to be exciting. One thing to appreciate about this transition that I'm making is that exactly what you said, my, my, my years and my efforts have been dialed into a particular calendar and been just known for so many years of my life. So I, I started, I, I made the world championships in college in 2007. And from then until just, you know, 2020 and even 2021, really, because, you know, even though I didn't make the champion or I didn't make the Olympic games, um, you know, I was still always working up to, to the U S championships. Um, the rhythm was set and I knew how to build the season, how to exactly, like you said, you know, you look at the U S championships and you work backwards from there. I almost always open my season at Drake. I almost always close my season, uh, at fifth Ave. So filling the in-between when you know Drake, U.S. Championships, World Championships, Olympics, and then Fifth Ave. It's like, well, you got to put some Diamond Leagues in and then you're done. <laughs> and, and so uh, there couldn't have been uh, a, a more stark kind of dividing line between like pre-fire and post-fire, <laughs> between like just how my life has been so predictable and how I've had so many things, just kind of pillars of life um, uh, and certainties kind of dialed in to now it's just, it's really different. And a lot of it is stuff I get to decide, which is just really amazing. You know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about there are just more opportunities to write your own script now as a professional athlete than I think there were 10, 12 years ago. Um, and so, I, I have a little bit more freedom now and I don't know. I think that'll be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Final thing for me is U S women's 1500 meter running right now is, is deep. It means a little bit coming from you who impresses you the most right now as the next sort of big star that people should really rally around in the lead up to the Paris Olympics, because you know, when it comes to like the storytelling, NBC is going to pick their person and it's like, we got to build up, you know, kind of the attention around that athlete. Is there anyone in the 1500 that re you really look at um, as, oh, that person is onto something special right now? That is such a good question. I mean, I have to admit, I'm not, I haven't been the perfect fan of the sport over the last two years while I'm like army crawling through my own uh, stuff, but I guess what I would say is that the 1500, especially in the United States for so long has had, um, you know, for so many years, it was me and Shannon and someone else, or it was me and Morgan and someone else. Um, and, and for so many years, those two spots, by the time we approached the U S championships were kind of likely, likely taken, you know, it's never, it's never a sure thing till it's over, but likely taken. And then there was kind of this rotating scene of, of the, um, or rotating seat of the third spot. And so it has never been more open. It has never been more open and there have never been more possibilities. And I think what happens there under those circumstances is that someone that's not running 402 or faster now will emerge in the next few years. Um, when there's that much open road for somebody to come in, a lot of people are going to try to fill it. And, and I, I think the three that make the team in 2024, we might not even know all those people right now. 
it, it might not even be a, an exercise in predicting because we don't know them yet. So, and then the other thing too, is that the, the college scene, NCAA just keeps getting better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And, and people are coming out of there in a lot of different events um, and, and competing at the world championship level. And that that's been true over the years, but it just feels like, it feels even more, it feels like there's more of that happening. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of my sense. With it being so wide open, I really wonder what it would be like, I guess, being you in like late May, just kind of fighting off that itch and be like, all right, just enter me. I want to see what's going to happen. But it seems like you're you're going to be more in on, on the roads now. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely more in on the roads. Um, but track is just, I mean, that work will always be a part of who I am. And I mean, I guess what I would say is that I've worn spikes in the last 10 days. Okay. (laughs) So it's not like I, I don't care at all, or I don't see that work is still really valuable. And so if it can translate into some track race, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's off the table. I like that. And we'll leave it there because I think you, you've got people on the edge of their seat now and I'm, and people are just so excited for this next chapter for you, Jenny. Jenny, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. That does it for another episode of the City of Smack podcast. Thanks for listening and supporting. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend, leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you want to contribute and support the show, you can also back us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash Mag, or send over any tip or one-time donation over to City of Smack on Venmo. You guys are all the best. Thanks for listening. Legs are feeling good. I'm Chris Chavez. See you next time.